Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. I am Antoine Walter, and I have the great pleasure to welcome Christos Karizialis as my guest today. Christos works as R&D engineer at Lentec, and I'll let him explain in a minute how his role converged to business development. In today's episode, we are going to discuss wastewater reuse and how it's reshaping the industrial wastewater treatment market. Christos will guide us through minimum and zero liquid discharge, the drivers and methodology associated with successful implementation, and answer the key question, can we actually turn wastewater into a resource? You're listening to Don't Waste Water, the podcast that helps water professionals to improve their wastewater treatment, optimize their operation costs, and keep up with the latest market trends. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. As a leading supplier of piping systems made of plastics and metal, GF Piping Systems is the global expert for the safe and reliable transportation of water, chemicals, and gas. For more information, visit gfps.com. Hi, Christus. Welcome to the show. How is the weather today in the Netherlands? Strangely great. <laughs> oh, so that happens have, sometimes. So the good thing is that uh, for the last three months during the quarantine, the weather in the Netherlands has been great. So lots of sunshine. And yeah, keeps us uh, going during uh, these trying times. So um, maybe just a short word uh, on, on you. You are uh, working as an R&D engineer at Lentec, but um, I've seen that your history with water is starting a bit before. Uh, can you get us through uh, your journey from hydrology to, to wastewater treatment? So um, I'm a civil engineer uh, with a specialization in hydraulic constructions, but I was always fascinated uh, by water and wastewater. For this reason, I had uh, done two masters uh, on uh, that topic. And uh, as I delved more and more into water treatments, I realized that I have a great interest in uh, desalination. So okay. by the time of uh, my master in Germany, I came in contact with one professor Schoenberg, who had this bright idea of uh, brine treatments, which was the first time I've heard at that point. And from that point on, it was a never-ending uh, trip to innovation when it comes to treating uh, high salinity brines and interesting wastewaters. Today you're working at, at Lentec. If you were to, to pitch Lentec, how would you present it to me, assuming I don't know the company? Lentec is a 27-year-old OEM company. On that has an extensive experience in tertiary water treatment. We have a strong uh, worldwide presence. We can deal almost, and our specialization, let's say, is dealing with hard cases. You mentioned the, the worldwide presence. I've seen you're active in 140 countries, and you have three offices in Netherlands, US, and Dubai. So how do you, how are you organized? Who, who does what? We uh, headquarters. The design and the manufacturing is here in the Netherlands. And uh, we have two satellite offices, as you said, in the US and Dubai. Here in the um, uh, Netherlands, in Delft, we are, I think, uh, like uh, two kilometers away from TU Delft, which we cooperate tightly from time to time, especially with uh, European projects. We have around 50 people of uh, 18 different nationalities. We speak, uh, I think, 20 languages. 
So not only we have the know-how to deal with a lot of uh, water treatment cases, we can also do it in every possible language that you can think of. What about the, the secret sauce of, of Lentec? Because you mentioned when it's demanding to the water. So what's exactly the, the field of expertise of the company? What is your playground? The secret sauce is that there is no sauce. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just kidding. So we have dedicated people in the company that know what they are doing. They're very interested in uh, optimization, innovation, Every day we come up with something new in the water treatment market. We are cooperating with dozens of suppliers and technology providers. So we are not, let's say, married to anybody. We are cooperating with the best case scenario for in order to help our clients. Lentec is in the eye of the hurricane when it comes to innovation and uh, available solutions. And these along with the love and care we put in our project, makes uh, us special. You've mentioned that it's many people that work at Lentec and make it special, but I guess you're one of these uh, special people. So maybe can you tell us a bit more what are your tasks as an R&D engineer? I would say I am more on the B side than the R. I'm more on the business development side. The main point of read of an R&D is to search for uh, new solutions. Let's say my main focus in the company uh, has to do with uh, blind treatment technologies and uh, zero liquid discharge. For this reason, for the last two and a half years almost that I have been working in uh, Lensec, I have come in contact, uh, I think, with more than 20 technologies around the world, trying to develop uh, commercial opportunities, talking with suppliers, the clients, coordinating perhaps sometime, helping out with process design, uh, with interesting cases. So it's business development with a technical touch, or is it technical development with a business touch? I think it's a bit of both. And uh, this is what makes it interesting for me. It's not, you're not purely sitting in front of a screen. On the other side, you're not spending a whole day talking to the phone. So you have to have to be a bit of both. You, you mentioned some, some projects which were a good example. Can you just give us maybe one example of what you've been doing over the last year? Just one project, if so, we had to choose one. I know this is a difficult one. <laughs> yeah, I would like to mention a lot, but one that I really love is the treatment of a very complex 10-12% PDS blind. It has absolutely everything inside. Salts, metals, heavy metals, a bit of organics. And this was honestly like a headbreaker for me until we found uh, liquid to liquid water extraction uh, methods. Okay. We have been working with a client and technology supplier for the last one and a half year. So when you're doing that, you're really uh, partnering with, with the supplier in order to, to bring every, everybody, all the right brains on the table yeah. and find a solution. Exactly. As I mentioned, uh, Lantec is an OEM system manufacturer. So we are always working together with technology suppliers under their guidance and so the help of our experienced process and product engineers to get these solutions onto the market. And in, in those cases, does it start with a pilot uh, and then you grow from there? So usually, and I can't mention this enough, I would like to invite you all to our lab facilities. Lentec uh, has an extensive uh, lab 
in our headquarters in Delft, uh, ranging with every possible technology that you can think of. This allows us to demonstrate, let's say to the clients, the potential of each one of them along with their combinations. So this is how it starts. Okay, so it starts with an ID, gets checked in the lab and developed in the pilot, and then it goes to, to a full scale. And mm -hmm. then I guess uh, it's the beauty of the industrial market. Everybody's happy. Exactly. Actually, I think we get to know you a bit better and uh, we have an overview of what your company does. And I would like now to, to dig a bit deeper into those topics of uh, wastewater reuse and zero liquid discharge or minimum liquid discharge. And you're going to tell us in some minutes your view on the, the difference between both. Actually, when preparing for the discussion, I found out that the first evidence in the history of uh, wastewater reuse can be found in the ancient Rome because there they were using the water in the spas and then reusing the water to flush the toilets. But it seems to me like there is like this span of almost 2000 years where we kind of forgot about that and said, well, reuse is not really a thing. And uh, it sounds to be back recently. So what do you think? Uh, how widespread is reuse today in industry? Wastewater reuse isn't exactly, as you said, uh, a new topic in the water treatment history. Actually, for the last decades, it has been used a lot from uh, Israel and other countries in the Middle East. Europe and the rest of the world is starting to cut up, I guess, due to the ongoing water stress and the climate change. And so, uh, yeah, we are re rediscovering what should have been applied for the last 20 years, I guess. The water stress is the driver. The water stress, yeah. Mainly environmental effects of wastewater. So you see now what's happening in China and India with uh, the treatment of the wastewater. Very hard legislations. Europe put a lot of uh, legislation for its own for the last decades, and I hope they continue doing it. Wastewater reuse also has been, let's say, a very sensitive topic for me. I come from a South European, semi-arid country: Spain, Italy, Portugal. The south areas of France, all these areas suffer more or less the same from climate change. That could be solved with desalination or wastewater reuse. The thing is that wastewater reuse, though, is a more easy solution to these kind of things. Because you already have a water that you would throw away anyway. You throw away essentially a very valuable resource like that, or you drive it to a very expensive wastewater treatment. So what's the solution? The solution here is to, instead of mixing every wastewater, uh, the difficult wastewater and drive it to very expensive wastewater treatment plants, is to separate these and have on-site treatments supported by the legislation of each country will take care of this problem bit by bit giving back water to the industries, giving back water to the households. You have the um, examples of Hong Kong and uh, Cape Town now, which mix 30% of the clean uh, wastewater with uh, the fresh water to go to the tap. Although it sounds disgusting to many of the listeners, I think this is uh, essentially where we're going. It's a bit the story of the new water in Singapore, where if you're really lacking the water, you, you, 
you need to have this this closed loop but you've mentioned something really interesting uh, with this uh, separation of of the flows in the urban area we see there's the wastewater and then the rainwater which some sometimes are separated but in the industries um how is it is it like every batch has his separate flow and you might be able to treat them locally Or is everything brought together in a plant and then it might lose a bit on efficiency? One of the first questions I ask other clients uh, when they want to treat a stream, I ask them, is it the result of one or more processes? Is, there, is it a mix? And why is that? Because some streams are harder to treat than others, right? Mm -hmm. So it's more economical to treat a hard stream in a small scale rather than mix it with other streams and treat them all together, which goes back to example the wastewater treatment plant example I gave you. So inside the same plant, a lot of times, we have different wastewater streams, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to treat them, if possible, separately in order to have an efficient wastewater treatment system in your facilities. You would have separate streams as much as possible, try mm -hmm. to, to, to treat them with smaller size treatment steps. I guess if you start to do that, uh, membranes will have quite a high role because some of the very concentrated ones will be treated directly through membranes when other might go through regular biology or, or specific steps. What would be the typical treatment chain you see when you are reusing uh, a specific flow? Membrane technology has advanced a lot for the last 30 years, more or less. And it's getting more and more innovations in the last decade. And as we speak, for example, there are polymeric membranes that can do filtrate multiple filtration steps at once. Or you have, for example, ceramic membranes that can take care of Uh, extreme uh, wastewater cases, smaller footprint, smaller capex, smaller opex. So what are we waiting? Let's reuse it. I strongly believe that every wastewater available can and should be treated and reused. You mentioned, for example, in a household, you have the gray wastewater and you have the black wastewater. Both can be treated. Of course, the gray wastewater is easier than, than the black. But it should be recovered, and we're trying to convince the households to use this wastewater for non-potable uses. We should also try to convince, through legislation, through EU funding or state funding in general, the industries to reuse their water resources and take as least amount as possible from the public network. You've mentioned three factors. Uh, you've mentioned uh, CapEx, OPEX, and Footprint. I guess all of them for sure play a role. But if you had to rank them, how is it today? Uh, what would be the first thing you look at? Is it uh, the investment or is it the operation cost or where to fit it in the plant? For me personally, uh, one is influencing the other. But it also depends on the client that if they have the money to uh, invest straight through, So sometimes the clients are asking for capex. Other times, uh, people uh, people ask for uh, ROI, return of investment. So usually, um, you have to design a system with an ROI of three years or less. Okay. And this is affected straight from the opex factor. This is what we are doing, for example, with the zero liquid discharge processes. 
where we are trying to lower the energy consumption. Just to introduce the, this zero liquid discharge topic, just one last question before. You know, wastewater, in the name, there is waste. So for uh, everybody, it's like, you know, something which really you're, you're dumping away. And it turns out if you're going to reuse and even more if you're going to zero liquid discharge, that it's no longer really a waste, it gets a resource. So what's your, your, your vision on that? Definitely there is a lot of potential from industrial and urban wastewater. There is a lot of viable contaminants to be recovered in the form of salts, metals, uh, nutrients. I think there was a very interesting Horizon 2020 project on using the wastewater treatment for biogas in order to cover the energy demands of uh, the whole wastewater treatment plant. Uh, you can have a lot of interesting products from your wastewater stream that if you do a proper market research, you can always find a solution to sell them, ranging, for example, from salts for fishing companies to very viable metals that can be used in the industry. The opportunities are there. All you need to do is have a little bit of creativity and uh, market research and I think we're getting there step by step. You mentioned it's an opportunity. Actually, usually opportunities come with challenges. And I guess the biggest challenge when it comes to wastewater reuse is the brines, because you get brines and you need to treat the brines. You've written an amazing booklet on this, on this topic, and I will put the link in the notes episode so that everybody can have a, a, a read on that and I really recommend reading it. It's really interesting. But maybe you can tell us in a couple of words what are the brines and what are the challenges which come with the brines? Well, brine is a little bit tricky. Uh, some people, uh, when they're saying brine, they're meaning brackish water. Other people mean the concentrates of uh, reverse osmosis. From my understanding, when I say brine, I mean solutions of uh, 6% and up PDS, meaning 60,000 milligrams per liter. So, high-salinity brine can't be treated from a typical reverse osmosis. This is why a lot of interesting technologies have been developed, uh, ranging from uh, ultra-high pressure reverse osmosis to uh, membrane distillation, forward osmosis, and other interesting technologies. So, th those are the technologies that would be used for a zero-liquid discharge or a minimum liquid discharge. Mm -hmm. What would be the way to choose the right treatment from this full array of options? Every technology has its pros and cons. So some technologies demand the existence of uh, waste heat in order to become viable or vapor stream. So let's take a typical, uh, let's say, MLD or DLD solution, which is the evaporator. So in order for this option to become viable, you need to have some vapor stream that uh, evaporator can use. Because if you need, if you will use electricity straight through, then you're going to have a problem when it comes to energy consumption. Every wastewater has its own challenges to overcome. This is why it's important that the water market has a lot of solutions. The world would be very, very dull if there was one solution for all the problems. Yeah. <laughs> Of course. So you, you have to, to, to have a look on the water because the water at the end of the day still decides what you are going to implement, but also the environment, because if you have some networks available, for sure it makes it easier to use some 
solutions. Yeah. You have an interesting um, graph in, in your paper about the comparison between zero liquid discharge and minimum liquid discharge. Maybe yeah. uh, before we dig into that, uh, can you just explain us the difference between zero and minimum? Sometimes people want high recovery from their wastewater and they are mixing it up with the zero liquid discharge. So zero liquid discharge is getting no water, no liquid waste out of your process and show it as a side product. For this to be done, it's very expensive. It's very expensive to usually to get these last drops of water out of the stream. Like and last five percent, like ten, last ten percent. How much? Five, five to ten percent. Uh, I'd okay. say usually. For for me, it's very easy to recover eighty percent. Let's say I, I think this is more or less the the MLD level, eighty to eighty-five percent. And uh, in order to get from this point up you need a lot of effort in machinery and energy. You have to sit down and ask yourself, do I really need to get up to that point? You have to ask what, uh, what is my water needs in, in the plants, what, I, what are the legislation that uh, I have to follow, what is the environmental uh, impact I have. According to this, sometimes you don't need to take out all the water. This 20% recovery of water, for example, can make all the difference when it comes to capex. I have seen systems that this 20% costs 60% of capex, of the total capex of the whole system. You have 40% of the capex to, 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 to take out up to 80%. Yes. And the last step is taking 60%, so three times more expensive. Not only, not only more expensive uh, capex-wise, but it can be three times up when it comes to OPEX. There are, of course, new innovative technologies that we are using. As I mentioned, for example, the liquid-to-liquid water extraction that we're using on the project. But they're definitely more expensive than ML and minimum liquid discharge technology. It goes like that in the water market unless someone is really pressed from legislation or is really pressed from the water needs, they won't go there. ZLD market is a very niche market at that point. Mm -hmm. I think I think we are uh, moving of course to more and more cases year by year as the water stress grows. But unless there is an immediate need to recover all the water, uh, yeah, you don't need to. You can save a lot of money and a lot of effort just by going to 80-85%. For example, we have a membrane process that can concentrate seawater up to 20%, and that gives an almost 85% recovery of seawater. You don't need to go any higher unless you really need these uh, last drops of water or to take out the sold product. ZLD is, is, is a niche as such, but how spread is MLD? Is it like one industry which would not be reusing would be looked at like you're just wasting water or is it still something where they need to be proactive and really in some countries? What, what's, what's the market um, maturity? towards a minimum liquid discharge? The way I see it from my interaction with the industry for the last, let's say, three, four years, I think that the 
water maturity, the water recover maturity is not really there yet. Some costs are still relatively high. Uh, you don't have legislation, although it's getting stricter. You can find a lot of cases that are pretty loose unless there is a direct someone on top of your breathing on your neck to, to do it. Nobody, nobody will uh, take care of it. And uh, what pains me is that the areas that need it most never think of it. I don't know if uh, you saw recently a video from uh, National Geographic about uh, the water uh, resources in Greece and yeah. the need for desalination. Coming from that area, I can vouch that <laughs> Greece really doesn't take care of water resources. And if we don't do that, there is going to be a, it's going to be a very immediate danger in the next five to ten years. I think it's also another article that, that, that you shared. Uh, it was about the cost of water produced with desalination and the cost mm -hmm. of water coming from wastewater reuse. And it turned out that wastewater reuse is much cheaper, but yeah. there's a problem with the perception because people are not really ready for that. What I see right now is that some hotel resorts, some big hotel resorts, they're starting to, to do it using a typical NBR or another wastewater treatment. But the general public isn't really informed or isn't really psychologically ready to accept a wide use of recycled wastewater. But believe it or not, it's not the fact that it's not uh, the um, large public that needs to change its mind because it's, it's not the one who is mainly contributing to water usage. I think you, you know pretty well that uh, the one, the main particular, let's say, to water spending is agriculture in every country, ranging from 40 to 60 percent. Then you have the industry, and then perhaps the last, let's say, places you can, can find households. We have mentioned wastewater reuse. We have mentioned uh, desalination, but uh, really the first step that we must take is improve water resources management. The usage yes, in agriculture and, and then also the usage in the industry which are very demanding in water such as power, exactly. coal to chemical. So yes. these are the ones which need to be right. educated. Production of water, pure water, for example, for the semiconductor industry. Like you have a lot of interesting cases, right? You have, you have industries that need a lot of water and very good quality water. We have to make them understand that, uh, or we have to force them through legislation not to use the public network, but to recover and reuse the water they already have. Uh, I've always said that one of the, mo of the model examples when it comes to uh, water management and uh, water reuse is uh, Israel. Mm -hmm. We have seen the effort they have put in the last decades, all the innovations they have been putting in the market more and more. So if I just round up the, the, this part, I would say that, and you tell me if you agree, uh, it's not new. Reuse is a topic which is on the table for decades, as you said. Mm -hmm. um, we have technologies in place, we have possibilities, and we have also uh, opportunities to use them, to, to get them, to have higher value out of it. But still, there's a way to go in many countries and maybe it needs some support from the regulation and it needs some push in some areas of use. Exactly, Michael. So, Thank you for summing it up. <laughs> I would suggest you to, to, to move to, to the last part of this, uh, this interview. It's time for the rapid fire questions. 
So first question, um, what is the most exciting project you've been working on and why? So I think we have already talked about it. So that's treating, the one you mentioned. Treating, treating a very hard, a very hard TDS brine that has absolutely everything inside. It has been Hellbreaker, as I mentioned, but solving this puzzle uh, and giving me the opportunity to put, let's say, a little bit of a small break in the and the revolution of a specific market in Europe. What's your favorite part in your job? Searching. Searching and trying to solve a riddle. Nice one. It's, it's, um, it's a bit, little bit like detective work. So as we said, every case is unique. Every case has its own challenges to overcome. And the process of imagining this process and solving its problems day by day, because no solution is perfect, you will keep have problems coming up every day. And uh, the way you find a solution for each one of them, and uh, it's, a very, it's very tricky. It requires a lot of technical knowledge, people knowledge, a lot of time, management uh, capabilities. And I think this is what attracts me most in my daily routine. What is the trend to watch out for in the water industry? Extreme wastewater cases are becoming more and more of a norm. Uh, in the market, you should look always for niche needs and try to push into these areas especially the ones that have the possibility of recovery of viable contaminants. What is the thing you care the most when you design a new product or a new process? Run, run smoothly. Run smoothly. And what you mean like capitalize, opportunize, this kind of thing. When you design a process, it parts, it's quite tricky and requires a lot of input from a lot of people. In the end, I would just like to make it work despite the problems of that, the ongoing communication. And I'm more than happy when finally a system operates smoothly in, on the field. So what you care the most is that it runs smoothly. So mm -hmm. what is the thing you care the less? If there's one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't think there is a thing that you shouldn't care about uh, in the system. All its facets, all its angles should be accommodated according to the needs of the case and the client. From CapEx, OpEx, footprint, uh, the availability of maintenance spaces, everything has to be taken care of. And uh, it's our job as uh, water industry professionals to look at every possible detail. And I'll tell you what, I've uh, seen a lot of people not caring about the danger factors. This is what that they care that they provide the system, but they don't see the, any potential dangers coming up ahead. And as a civil engineer, I've always been used to accommodate an extra danger factor to a system. I have to mention this to my director and to my clients to accommodate for. I would like the professionals to take care of every angle. There are a lot of things that we really don't like, right? Documentation is one, nobody likes documentation, but still we have to do it. Someone has to take care of it. Do you have uh, sources that you would recommend to keep up with the water and wastewater market trends? 
So you have a typical uh, water magazines that we all know. Of. Uh, Which ones do you do you prefer? What's your favorite one? I the IWA, for example, ZW, mm -hmm. ZWI. I can't stress enough though the need to read the scientific journals. Never underestimate the power of uh, R and D. You have to think creatively, and uh, for us that would like to see the bigger picture in the water market, you know, to do this, you have to get a lot of incoming information. And then you start to complete the puzzle bit by bit in order to give yourself a more clear picture of what is going on and a chance for your company to move ahead in markets with uh, commercial opportunities. And uh, yeah, just to self-advertise a bit again, <laughs> this is this is what uh, Lantic does. And this is again a one of our main strong points that the company invests a lot, puts a lot of effort and a lot of time into its into its R and D department in order to provide innovative and efficient solutions to whatever problem may come up. Don't be shy about it. I mean, it's important to be proud of what you do and what your company does, because that's the way to be sure that you do something right. Well, uh, to round it up, um, you've been an amazing guest uh, for this podcast. Thanks for that. Uh, would you have someone that you would recommend uh, that we should definitely invite as soon as possible? One of, uh, I think, the most interesting speakers that uh, you can have in your podcast is uh, Ravid Levy. He has worked more than 15 years in uh, the water industry. He's currently based in Israel and uh, works as a consultant connecting, let's say, the new technologies to the water market around the world. If there is someone that uh, knows about R&D, product design, commercialization of advanced and advanced water and wastewater technologies, I think he is the person to talk to. So I'll make sure that we extend an, an invitation to him. <laughs> Thank you for the advice. To conclude the, the episode, uh, where can the auditors look for you? Uh, you personally, your company, uh, where would you like to, to link them? I put, of course, all the links mm -hmm. in the, the episode notes. Uh, Lantech has a very strong internet presence through its very informative site. Uh, I think uh, we are entitled to have to have the title of the Water Wikipedia of uh, internet. So most of the times, whatever you type, we will come up in the first three to five results. Uh, but if you, if you would like to contact with me personally, all you have to do is send an email to Christos at lantech.com. Uh, my email is also on the booklet that uh, you suggested. So I will be more than happy to accommodate you as uh, either a client or just uh, someone who is looking at uh, an answer to a theoretical problem. And that's a perfect conclusion. Christos, uh, thanks a lot for being with us today. Uh, how would you say goodbye in Greek? <laughs> uh, yes. I'm not going to say it because my accent is going to be horrible, but <laughs> thanks a lot. <laughs> uh, so thank you for having me. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.